Welcome once again to the Bible Foundations program. I'm Jerry Smythe, your host, and again, I'm just delighted to have you with us today because we have a message of hope. Now, all of that we've taught on Bible Foundations gives us hope for our relationship with God. For you see, we're born dead to God, and unless He gives us hope, we're hopelessly lost forever, hopelessly condemned to the lake of fire because of our own personal sin. But that's why God sent Jesus as the Deliverer, God Himself, satisfying His holy perfection standard. And He alone could do that. You see, man couldn't do that. No one else could deliver people from the power of sin and Satan and death. Only God Himself could do that. And He sends Jesus, God the Son, to be a human being and to live before the eyes of men who witnessed his perfect life and to demonstrate and give testimony that he was in, indeed sinless, that he was indeed the Son of God. Now, in our last time together, we were just discussing the man who was of the uh, village of Gadara, and he was on the other side from where Jesus had met the crowd, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And they went across that sea. And can you imagine being in that ship when the ship is about to sink for the storm that's blowing it around and all the other little ships that were around them? They were in desperate condition and they woke Jesus out of a sleep. And he stood up and said, peace be still. Oh, my friend, can you can you get the picture of what was going on in the hearts and minds of the disciples, the followers of Jesus? Oh, they'd watched him free the leper from his uh, leprosy. They'd watched the man with the withered hand. They'd watched the man uh, who was let down before Jesus uh, through the roof, who uh, was uh, paralyzed. And they watched him take up his bed and walk. And we saw them. Uh, they saw him do these mighty things. But one who could control the sea, this was their business, my friends. These were fishermen. They were used to storms, but they'd not been in a storm like this. I believe God Almighty sent that storm along just to show them that Jesus was God who was in the complete control of the situation. And he stood up and he spoke. You remember he spoke and the man with the withered man, his hand filled right out before their eyes. And now before the disciples' eyes as they're in that ship, Jesus simply says, peace be still. And that whole storm system calms immediately. Now we see Jesus coming over onto the other side of the Sea of Galilee into the area of the country called the Gadarenes. And there was a man who was living in the tombs who had an unclean spirit. This man was completely controlled, you might say even possessed, by and controlled by this evil spirit, this unclean spirit. And as we've seen before, no more did Jesus step ashore and this man spots him. At that evil spirit within him began to declare that Jesus was God. What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? You see, they knew him. They knew him because he was there when they were created. He is God. Now, some people might try to make Jesus out as a created being like those spirits that Jesus made, that God made, that the angels we call them. They were made to be servants to God, and there was one who rebelled. His name was Lucifer. And he wanted to take God's place. But God saw the wicked, wickedness that was in his heart. That evil was declared openly as God saw right into his heart and cast him and his followers right out of heaven. And now we see that they roam the earth seeking whom they can devour, continuing to mislead people and divert attention from God and who he is in every way they can. 
Well, here was a wild man who lives in the caves. And as soon as Jesus appears, the devils know that they're subject to him and they cry out from him. And Jesus says, come out from among them. Come out of the man. Thou unclean spirit is what Jesus says. And you know what? They had to obey. They trembled in the presence of Jesus. Now, folks, do you believe in Jesus? Well, get clear. The devil does too. Do you believe in Jesus? The devils believe and tremble. Now, in verse, name, in verse 9, Jesus asked the question, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. You see, there are many, many spirits or devils or unclean spirits that we might call uh, that we call in this way. There are many of them in the world. There were many angels who followed Satan, their master. But Jesus is God. He is supreme and sovereign. He is all powerful and he has control of the situation. And we see that while these spirits identify themselves as legion, they next besought him that he would not send them away out of the country. They knew that Jesus had the power to send them to the lake of fire right at that point. They knew that they couldn't stand against Jesus, who is God, their creator. And they knew that Jesus had all power over Satan and his followers and that Satan and his followers cannot stand up to Jesus. They know that one day they will indeed be brought under his final authority in eternal punishment. Oh, how foolish it is then for any of us to think that we can stand against God and his right to rule our lives. How foolish it is for any of us to remain under Satan's control when we know that in the end he and his followers will be one day thrown in the lake of fire. You see, all authority belongs to God. All power in the world belongs to God, not to the devils who have usurped the authority of God. They're falsely claiming to be the rulers of this world, you see. And they are truly conquered when you believe in God. That's how they're truly been put down. And that's why God allows them to continue to roam for this period of time. Because you see, God is glorified by those who simply will believe and come to him by faith. That's what truly defeats Satan, you see. Only Jesus was able to free this man of Gadara who was roaming around naked and cutting himself, attempting to commit suicide many times. He'd been bound up. The, the people had tried to help him in whatever way they could, or at least help themselves or protect themselves. They bound him in chains. They bound him in other kinds of ropes and things, and nothing could hold him. Oh, how typical it is that these uh, that our social agencies today spend millions of dollars dealing with the same people year after year with no change brought about in their lives but my friend jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever and he's still transforming lives of people he's transforming outside uh, suicidal outcasts into his own dear children he's transforming the antisocial people. He's transforming those who consider themselves useless or hopeless and sometimes are even destructive. You see, the Lord Jesus can transform every life. He's the same today as he was then, and he offers that same freedom to those who will believe today. Now, when Jesus frees a person, these are not just simply people who have been taught new ways of thinking. But they're men and women who have been reborn, born again to a living hope in Christ. 
and they become useful, productive, caring individuals with a firm biblical understanding of their eternal destiny and their authority in Jesus Christ and a burning desire to spend the rest of their lives telling other people about how they were freed and how others could be saved from the power and control of Satan like they have been. You see, that's the real message of this wild man that lived in the caves. Perhaps some people that you know, members of, or members of your families, may be deeply involved in drugs or even contemplating suicide. Oh, there's hope, my friend. There's hope in Jesus. Society has no lasting help, help or solutions for people like this. All they can do, as we mentioned the last time we were together, all they can do is offer a repair job on the old ruined man. But Jesus Christ offers new life and the power to live it for his glory. He's stronger than Satan. He's stronger than the addictive powers over every person. He's stronger than Lucifer and all the powers of hell. And he cares enough to deliver the most wretched person from Satan's grasp. You see, nobody is beyond help in Jesus' eyes. Jesus came as the deliverer, the one that would save us from our sin, from the power of Satan and from the control of Satan and deliver us from eternal death. Our Lord still delights in delivering men and women who, and make them new and complete, completely new in Christ. You see, this is the God whom we know as Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Son is Jesus Christ. Jesus is God the Son, and he is known to us as God's Son. Now in verse 10, we see that the de devils beseech Jesus not to send them away into a far country. Let's see where they wanted to go. Read verses 11 to 14 in Mark chapter 5 with me, if you please. Now there was nigh into the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about two thousand, and they were choked in the sea. Now the pigs drowned, but the evil spirits did not. The reason they didn't is because they don't have bodies like people or animals do. Now, Jesus did not send these evil spirits into everlasting punishment at this time. He gave them permission to go into the pigs. It wasn't time for God's final punishment for their rebellion and sin, you see. Nevertheless, God has set a future time when Satan and all of his evil spirits will be finally dealt with. Now, just suppose you were standing there or you were one of those uh, herders that were watching over the pigs when this happened. And you saw all of those pigs, 2,000 of them, run down into the sea because they didn't want the devils living inside of them. Satan is a destroyer. He's a murderer, my friend. And he was delighting in bringing a diversion here so that people would not see Jesus as God. Verse 14 reads, And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what, what, what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and to see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Imagine their awe as they see this man that they'd tried to control by putting chains around him. They knew that he had been a wild man living in the caves. And this man was now free from the control of Satan and his 
evil spirits by the power of the Lord Jesus. He no longer had to do the things that these devils told him to do. He was now under the authority of God. He was in his right mind now. He was clothed, and he was sitting at the feet of Jesus being taught. Oh, my friend, man must have faith in order to please God and be saved. And here's one who, when he was delivered from the power of Satan, exercised that faith and believed the Lord. But let's look at the people who who were spreading the word of what had happened after they'd fled from uh, watching the pigs drown themselves. And they that saw it, verse 16, told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. Oh, my friend, here's a diversion by the drowning of the pigs. The spirits think that they had won again, you see. Now these people were very foolish. Jesus, the Son of God and the Savior, had come to teach them, but they didn't want him to stay. Why was it they wanted Jesus to leave? Well, my friend, they were more concerned about the loss of their pigs than they were about coming to the knowledge of the truth and being liberated from Satan and sin and the power of death. They were more concerned with their monetary loss than than they were for the loss of their own souls and their children's souls. They were concerned about a temporary loss, although it must have been quite a little bit of money. Some people have estimated that those 2,000 pigs were worth uh, many thousands of dollars. But you know the world is still like that today. They refuse to hear God's word because they're more interested in making money and then the things of the world. They're not interested in what will happen to them. People think that death will happen some other time and they only live for the present. But the things of this life are only for a short time and then all will soon be gone. You see, when we die, we cannot take any of our things with us. The things that God teaches us in the Bible, however, will teach us the way to receive everlasting life. And that's what's critical. Now look at this man who has been born again, one who has been set free by God the Son. Jesus has given him new life. Let's read about it in verses 18 and 19. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed of the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath compassion on thee. Now, folks, this is the same man who just a little while before had been completely uncontrollable. He was naked and self-destructive. He'd been unable to live at home or to do any work. He'd been a social outcast. He'd been out of his mind. Even chains could not hold him. Now this man was dressed and in his right mind, and he was able to go home and be useful. He had something worth living for now. He had the wonderful story to tell to others about Jesus, and Jesus wanted him to go home and tell his family what had happened. They would be able to see more than anyone else the change in this man's life. Can you imagine how they must have felt when they saw him? You see, nothing is too hard for God, and he's still the same today. He's still able to transform your life or the one that you know who is in bondage to Satan at this moment. Now let's remember that everyone is born under Satan's control, every single one of us. Though a few people are controlled by spirits like this man, everyone is born under Satan's control. I used to be under Satan's control and rulership as well. 
and I too was on my, on, on my way to everlasting punishment. But when I heard the words of God and agreed with him, I knew that I was a sinner because I had disobeyed his laws. You see, God taught me from the Bible that I could not make myself acceptable to him and I could not escape his punishment. I personally have learned that Jesus sent God, his son, to be the deliverer of sinners. And I have trusted Jesus Christ as my savior. Have you? Oh, my friend, John chapter 8, verse 32 says, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then Jesus said in another situation in verse 34 of John chapter 8, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And then he goes on to say in verse 36, But if the Son therefore shall set you free, ye shall be free indeed. That's what Jesus does. He frees you when you hear the truth and exercise that element of faith, believing on his record, believing in what he has told us. We simply accept him as our Savior. What a joy it is that God loves us so much that he'd go to such great extent to express to you and I in incident after incident, situation after situation, how that he, a God of love, is so concerned about you and I that he sent his son to show us the way back to God the Father. You see, we're cut off from him. And unless he gives us spiritual life, we have no connection with him. We can't even understand what he says, except we hear his words. And as we hear his words, he extends to us the faith to believe, to simply accept what he said and understand his salvation as he unfolds it to us in these very lessons through his word. Now I want you to turn over with me to the book of John, if you will, please. John chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Here we see a very exciting situation where Jesus once again demonstrates the power of him of himself to us. We see him that we see through this very incident that Jesus Christ is God. Another living incident showing that this one who was totally a man could do things that nobody else could do because he was God. Let me correct that because he is God. He is God yet today. He was then, he always has been, he always will be. Now Jesus presents himself to us as the bread of life in this part of our studies. Now when Jesus was talking about the bread of life, he wasn't talking about the bread that you keep in your refrigerator. Did you ever live without a refrigerator? How long does bread keep in your house without a refrigerator? We keep things much longer because of that. If you've ever had to live as we have out in the middle of Borneo uh, uh, without the uh, some of the necessities or things that we call necessities in our life we even have to bake our own bread out there and many of you perhaps bake your own bread yet today but how long do you keep a loaf of bread at your house you see it's not too many days before it'll spoil unless somebody eats the last pre uh, piece of bread before it dries up now it won't last very long but we still keep buying it you see because we need to eat it's pretty easy to recognize the importance of our physical needs, but what about our spiritual needs? That's the bread that Jesus was talking about. Let's look at the setting in John chapter 6, beginning with verses 1 and 2. Once again, the setting is around the Sea of Galilee, known also as the Sea of Tiberias. Verse 1 says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great num uh, multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. 
Once again, we see that people were following Jesus everywhere he went. They were excited about what he was doing. It was almost as though there was a great sale going on or something free to happen. And those who were in need, particularly in physical need, were there to get his help. And they were, were learning to express their dependence upon him and knowing that he could deliver them from the chains of infirmity that were binding them, whatever they might be. Now, if we want to attract a crowd today, we just put up a sign and say, free. You read the Sunday paper, and we see that businesses are competing with one another to see which one can appear to give away the most, the most in order to win a customer's favor. If they say sale, many people will actually waste more on travel and gasoline than the few cents that they actually save on the sale. Oh, we're a strange people. No different in heart than the men and women in Jesus' day, you see. People run to sales but refuse the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Our fleshly appetites are enormous, but spiritual appetites are all too poor and often totally lacking. Now, when Jesus came to offer his free gift of eternal life, he did not dress it up in the worldly advertising. Instead, he spoke the truth in love. He met people's physical needs with compassion and offered to meet their greatest need also, and that was the need of salvation. As we see the crowds coming around Jesus at this particular setting, we ask ourselves, why did these people follow Jesus? Were they just looking for something spectacular? Was it the greatest thing that was happening around the area at the time? Or did they see themselves as needing a Savior? No, they followed him because they were looking for material benefits from him. They did not care about spiritual things. They wanted things for their physical benefit. Now, my friend, it will not help you. It will not help anyone. It will not help any person if he follows the teachings of the Bible in order to receive earthly benefits or wealth. You see, Jesus did not come into the world to give earthly riches. You see, believing the Bible and trusting in Jesus as Savior will not assure us of better conditions. God does not promise anyone these material things or benefits just because they believe the Bible or trust Jesus as Savior. But he wants to meet that inner spiritual need. You see, often the conditions that we're in is a direct result of our sin and our rebellion to God. And he begins by giving us peace with him and changing our life's attitude and that's precisely why Jesus came. He wants us to understand the real reason that he came, not just to give us material benefits, you see. God sent Jesus to be the deliverer from Satan and sin and everlasting death. That's the bottom line, my friend. That's the hope that he gives us. We rest with condemnation on us unless we come to God God's way. Now let's look and see what happens in verses 3 and 4 of John chapter 6. And Jesus went up into the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. Now at the feast of the Passover, the Jews remembered the last night that their forefathers spent in Egypt. You remember the setting from our previous studies. You remember that the angel of death passed over the houses of each of those Israeli families because each family had killed a lamb and put the blood on the doorposts of the house. God had told them that every year they were to kill a lamb in remembrance of his deliverance of their, uh, of their forefathers. Now in Jesus' day, Jewish people traveled great distances to participate in the annual observance of the Passover feast, which was held at Jerusalem. 
Now it had been nearly 1,400 years that had passed since the Israelites had left Egypt and that first Passover night. Why were so many Jews still celebrating the Passover? Were they all true believers in God and awaiting for the Deliverer? No, they were not. Some did it just because it was a custom. Others celebrated the Passover because they wanted to obey God's law outwardly, even though inside they really didn't care about God and believe Him. But there were a few who observed the Passover because God commanded them to do, uh, to do it, and they believed God and trusted that He was going to send the Deliverer. They believed the promises of God. That's why they were celebrating the Passover. God had now done just what He'd promised. Jesus, the Deliverer, had come at last. Now let's read verses 5 through 7 of John chapter 6. When Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? This he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, and every one, that every one of them may take a little. Now Jesus had already decided what he was going to do. He asked Philip this question only in order to get Philip's response. Philip had seen other miracles which Jesus has done, has done, and you'll remember many of those miracles that we've reviewed as we've looked at the Savior coming uh, as the deliverer of mankind. He's demonstrated himself and his power to us through various uh, healings. He healed people of all kinds of sicknesses. He cast out the evil spirits of others who were controlled in a supernatural way by Satan's evil spirits. He healed the leper. He healed the paralytic. He healed the man's hand. And he calmed the storm right in front of his disciples. And those ships around him were saved as well. And he healed the demon-possessed man at Gadara. Jesus Christ could do these things because he is God. And he's demonstrating that now once again, this time to a crowd of 5,000, as well as to the disciples. Verse 8 tells us, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Now that was all the food that seemed to be available among this whole, whole crowd. Only this little boy was prepared for uh, being there a little while. No doubt a loving mother had packed a lunch for him and sent him these five small loaves and two fishes. And now we see that God is indeed a multiplier. Read along with me in John six ten to 13. And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were sat down, and likewise the fishes, as many as they would. Jesus has the disciples tell the people to sit down on that grassy place, and there were about 5,000 men. Now how many carloads, freight train loads of food would it take to feed 5,000 people? It would take a bunch. Somebody figured that out, and I don't remember what the number of carloads was, but it was a train load or two, or more, perhaps. You see, because this is a lot of food. And what did Jesus do? He gave thanks after he had taken those loaves, and then he divided it out to the disciples, and they started passing it around. And we see when they were all fed, in verse 12, when they were filled, he said unto the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets 
with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above them that unto them that had eaten. God is a multiplier. Jesus is God the Son. And Jesus broke those loaves and, fi uh, and fishes so that they multiplied and multiplied right in his hands. And he gave them to the disciples and he passed them out. Now, can you feed your whole family on one of these little sandwiches? No, no one can do that. Only God Almighty could do that. You see, Jesus was able to do it because he is God Almighty. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Now we see that the people were excited. But man is a sinner and he needs God because he's helpless to save himself. The people were excited, all right, but they were looking for the further meeting of their physical needs. The people now seem to agree that Jesus must be the Savior. Look at verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth that prophet which should come into the world. Now, they were referring to the promise of Moses of the prophet that should come. That's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 and 18. They were now recognizing that Jesus was indeed God, that promised one that was promised even by Moses himself that would come as the Deliverer, and Moses was looking for the Deliverer. Thank you for joining me on Bible Foundations once again today. Join me next time as we continue our excursion through God's Word and see Jesus as the Savior.